Hello, good day again, and welcome to the Pub Scientific Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening and tuning in. Today, uh, I am here with Leanne Raff. Um, she's a specialist, uh, specialized sports physiotherapist in exercise, in exercise and sports. Um, uh, the majority of her time, she works in a clinical setting in a private practice in Melbourne. And uh, she told me just uh, a few, few seconds ago that her patient is the main focus. Um, I'm going to learn all about that. My name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a Spain a specialized physiotherapist. Um, I'm working in the Netherlands um, and I'm excited to have Leanne here. So um, let, let's just start, Leanne. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Bart. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so um, likewise, and I think we just jump in here. Um, and the first question we usually ask you is what excites you uh, at this stage in your career and in your work? Because I think there's some things we can cover here. Yeah, sure. Um, just for um, a bit of context, I'm 32 years in the clinic and I have to say I'm still feeling highly motivated and very excited about um, my work. Um, what excites me most at the moment, I think, is the um, the processes that are allowing me to explore opening myself up as a clinician around working with pa um, people experiencing pain. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I feel like there's more uh, encouragement and license to really explore other sort of domains of um, study and, and influence on um, things. And in particular, I guess it's um, non-traditional physiotherapy sort of areas. So um, philosophy, phenomenology, um, anthropology, things that influence human beings. How did you get involved in all those heavy terminologies if you like because for some of the listeners it will be sound like philosophy um uh, anthropology and it all sounds like really interesting but how do you how did you get there can you tell me more about being sure. getting interested in that area yeah i think um there's probably in my work in sport and exercise i felt like there was uh sort of two parallel pathways that i was trying to navigate one was sort of injury and um, the high performance sort of space and, and development of athletes um, and recreational um, movers. And then the other part of it, I've just found this sort of disconnect with the pain science and how I sort of really work with that and integrate that. And I feel like at the moment we've just sort of started at a point where they converge. So um, it was through exploring those two parallel pathways in the clinic and working out um, ways to explore um, really I think along the skill acquisition line was probably what really drove me and there's a lot of sort of progression in that space and that that was really ahead of where I felt the pain science was um, certainly hitting the hitting the ground and hitting the clinic and clinicians. So, um, you know, and Keith Davids, his work over in um, the UK um, was heavily influential in that. And so I think what has happened for me is that I've started to see a um, 
a whole system where I can actually think about pain and pain experience and I can also think about skill acquisition and, and high performance within the same um, model, I guess, or um, theory. So mm. that's probably how I got to then start to mm. think about more the, you know, the the body and the person as a, as a sub- subject, a person living a life. And that's something that we, working from the body as an object and something to find where the problem lies versus the mm. body as a subject who's a person living a life with the body. Um, I think that's probably how I came to be exposed yeah. to things like philosophy and things. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could you, could you, um, could we have a, um, a go on that? Because I, I find it really interesting because it's sort of there are two areas where you said this is what I used to do, seeing the, the body as an object, and now I see it as a subject of the person. So can you give an example, for example, how it used to work with the same patient and how you operate right now? What would be the difference? So the difference would be that... Um, in the past, and particularly in the area that I work in, you know, injury often does, if you have an acute injury, we often have an issue in the tissue. And um, and so that is often the um, focus point. But I guess when I sort of think more about it's a person who does sport, who has an injury, which might have an issue in the tissue, I'm much more aware of the fact that I can zoom in on the body as an object and what the issue in the tissue might be if it's an acute injury, but I will always be zooming out to um, the, include the context of the involvement and engagement with sport, um, other life contexts, um, if it's a female, what stage of life they're at with their, um, you know, uh, female sex hormones, so whether they're just in their menstrual years or whether they're pre or post sort of natal years or whether they're perimenopause, menopause. So those contexts are just normal life contexts and um, having the big broad sort of view of things means that I am never not saying that it could be this and this and this as potential um, influences. So that's probably the biggest difference. Yes, and how does that is that different to what let's say the biopsychosocial model offers is, as a concept of which is I think has been widely taught in in, in unis and mm. um, uh, is it different to to that? So that my question would be, what is the difference with the like the the biopsychosocial model towards more philosophical models? Um, I think they there's enormous overlap. And I don't think they're distinctly different. But I think that for, for me, um, working through having to change my thinking and understand bigger sort of ways of thinking, growing out from the body as an object to consider the body as a subject and living a life and, um, and then we sort of add in the social and the psychological dimensions um, I think growing out from the body versus having a whole world view and I can scale in and out, that that's different. So mm. I think the 
way of thinking about it that has the broad view and that you become very in tune with whether you're zooming in on something, um, which is often very necessary when we've got serious pathology and disease, etc. Um, I, I just have this sense of scaling from the big down to the little and out versus coming from a narrow view and then trying to go out. And I feel like mm. that's a bit different. So what was that challenging for yourself to change that? <laughs> yeah, and it's taken, um, oh, I think I've been on this sort of journey since um, early 2000s. I moved from, I was at the Australian Institute of Sport and um, around that sort of time I was really starting to um, feel like there was, uh, you know, a lot of um, information about um, you know, many ways to do one thing and there was no ideal um, technique per se and skill developed within, um, you know, someone performing and working and interacting in their environment. Um, so that meant that I needed to sort of start looking at exploring things more widely. Um, so, yes, it's it's taking, I'm still on that journey. I, I still find that sometimes I go back into my default mode, but I catch myself now. And I, I am highly aware that I might've gone into some of my old kind of um, habits around things. So it takes work. Um, and the first, I think the first thing is to start to get a sense of how you think. And then how can I start to, um, pick some entry points to challenge and change that. So how long? It's probably, I've been doing this maybe for 12 years, like really trying to um, broaden and navigate. Hmm. Yeah, let's talk about um, education or getting there in a bit. But what is the, that it, what is the, the frameworks you, you are trying to implement in your day-to-day -day work with patients at the moment? What, what, is, what are you considering helpful as a thinking framework um, in the clinic? So because we people listening right, right now say, oh, I might be interested, but what are we talking about? I think part of it is, um, you know, there's, there's terms like system thinking and, and complexity, and that can really um that really excites me that that is um more and more being talked about in our clinical sort of space but it can be very overwhelming for a clinician so i think that um the the general concept is to try and see things more whole and not break it down into parts so that's the first sort of step um and you know it's like russian dolls nested in a system and you know, you take the little one out and it makes a different noise and, it, you know, like, so we keep it whole. Um, and then I think that allows or has allowed me to start to see that I can, I can enter that system at a different sort of level. So I might get someone to do whole body movement. You and I have talked about this when, you know, we're doing whole body coordination stuff and that's entering the system at that level which has certain properties and I can actually work with that level of the system to see if we can get some 
information that we can learn how to proceed, um, which is quite different to going down to the nanoscale cellular level. So I, I think it helps to remain connected and then get some sense in the clinic of, of the dynamics of zooming in and out of certain sort of levels or size scales of the system. Um, and then the other thing that I think is helpful in the clinic is to then in keep not pulling things into parts is, you know, keep connected the nervous system, the immune system, the endocrine system, they all influence each other. And it's quite artificial to separate one out from the other. Um, but I think we traditionally have talked about the nervous system with, um, with pain and neuroimmune processes are, you know, well established and understood. Um, and then, you know, the interaction with the endocrine system and stress and sex hormones and things is, is all, you know, integrated. So getting a sense of how one of those could potentially drive and, um, you know, influence the system in a small or a big way. And, and so then that raises that whole concept of uncertainty, which, you know, we often have been trying to be very certain with our processes and patients come in expecting that we will know and be able to guide. And so there's that flip of acknowledging the inherent uncertainty with respect to many of these presentations and how do we work through that? Yeah, so I like that term uncertainty. I think that's a very key one, if that's all right. Um, um, so what does it mean? What does what do you mean by definition of with uncertainty in the clinic, in your patient, or when you, with your encounter uh, in, in during a clinical encounter in, in general? Um, in, in the clinical encounter, there's, you know, I, I think we basically talk to our patients and we do things with our patients. And so there can be a level of uncertainty that we can't always gather all information that is influencing a person experiencing pain, but we can um, really start to work out what are the things that across those broad domains that might influence um, things. But it doesn't mean that we then necessarily know what's going to be the most dominant um, lever to pull to, to shift the system. Um, mm. So, so sometimes we don't always know what the problem is. Now, I think in a clinic for me, it's about making sure that we're ticking off, um, you know, medical um, conditions and diagnosis and serious pathologies identified and, and the medical care is received. But once we've sort of worked through the reassurance with some patients that that is actually not a necessary pathway to go down because there is no identifiable um, medical condition or serious pathology, um, that's where the uncertainty really opens up. But with that uncertainty is also a whole lot of possibility. And so that's the piece around trying to navigate um, 
viewing together in a way that starts to step along that pathway. And, um, you know, the patient perspective um, is the place that we can step into the complexity. That's where it sits. And so um, what does that mean? I think for me it means that getting in touch with how a patient feels, what their experience is and how they interpret that, and then from there having some sense of that sort of perception and, and what drives behaviour and, and, and their action. So getting alongside and trying to enter through that space will then allow us to start to look in the clinic around well, what, what uncertainty do we have. And um, I'll do a shout out to Nathalia Costa with her um, research on low back pain and uncertainty in low back pain. Um, I'm catching up with her in the next week or so to really have a chat with her. But um, she's just come back from this um San Diego Pain Summit and presented there and she's really opening up what exactly does uncertainty mean for people with low back pain and it crosses so many domains it's uncertainty and lack of diagnosis and understanding what it's going on for the, the body it's uncertainty of where you are going to go and uncertainty about what's going to make a meaningful change so there's so many dimensions of it but one of the things that's coming out is that the acknowledgement of it, that it actually is inherent, ubiquitous. It's, it is part of our process um, and probably more. I'm more free these days to say in the clinic, okay, I'm not 100% sure which way is this going to go. And then sometimes we only know by then, I was just sort of talking about the talking, by the doing. And so I'm a physiotherapist and, and movement is one of our great sort of um, dimensions for exploration. And so often it's through setting up an activity that's relevant to the person and it's a simplified version of what they're trying to do, which is where that, you know, something that's quite complex out in an environment we don't necessarily know, but try and narrow something down so that still... Um, maintains some of the features of where they're trying to um, uh, trying to live life. Um, so it's just enough uncertainty that they feel like they can enter it. And I'm assessing whether someone is willing to go there, willing to enter a bit of the uncertainty, enter the not knowing until you actually do it. And looking at what arises, and so we see fear and yeah. avoidance and that stuff. Would that be in in, in a situation of a person experiencing low back pain? Is actually do the bending and do the stuff that you would ex expect it to be painful, and that using that um, that concept on on a doing like that? Yeah, that's right. And but feeling safe to do and, you know, often what version of things do you think we might start with or, you know, giving some sort of choice around there's a lot of different ways we can do this. And so, um, mm. you know, I, you know, I can see it could be this way, this way, this way. Which one would you like to try? Uh, so it's sort of constantly assessing that sort of 
willingness or I can't even imagine doing that. We see that as well. How do we move past that sort of step? Yeah. And how would, where would predictive processing fit in? Would, would that be helpful, the concept of predictive processing in your clinical encounters? Yeah. Um, I, I actually think as a theory in relation to the subjective experience of pain, it's probably, uh, you know, one of those, the most broad and inclusive theories um, for pain. And so I really have um, some strong thoughts on how much value it has for it to us to at least explore what it offers us in the, as a clinician. And I was talking before about how I think as a clinician, I've been trying to expand out from the body as an object and trying to, you know, encompass and, and take on biopsychosocial modelling in the clinic. But that's like a growing out from the body as an object. And I think predictive processing is about, um, you know, the we don't react to life. We generate action and living. And so it really starts to take on a whole lot of concepts that are um, allow us to keep the modelling whole, but we can zoom in and out. And I think it accommodates many of the useful elements that we are um, finding helpful, but also it also opens up other questions around how we might look at um, making sense of someone's pain experience. And it, and it takes in a family of views, which are emotions, cognitions, actions, perceptions, and that covers off many of the things that sit around a person experiencing pain that's not about me being as a, a physio or someone being a psychologist. And it so, so then starts to introduce the concept of transdisciplinarity where we really are moving out of silo-based care and starting to look at what's the information we can actually um, uh, expose or get in touch with, with our patients that allows us to have a whole view. Yeah, so I like that that last bit. And then I was, from my point of view, as a clinician, we we're in the same position, I guess. And and, and where you feel, is this, people ask me, is this a new method, for example? So, well, I don't think it's a method. I think it's a, it's a framework that really helps you to put the person in front of you in the center, truly in the center. and, and Truly and, in the center. And and then create creating a, a sense of of inclusive inclusivity or inclusiveness for yeah. making sure you you can find every possible potentially involving or influencing factor that may be being part of or creating that experience where people in if you can soften it or changing it mm. or whatever the object. But it, do you feel comfortable with that that way of um me saying this um using yeah. that models as a thinking model I, I think so I think um what I so there's two things one was when I actually started to become exposed to this and and to start looking into it it really allowed me to 
have a way of thinking that helped me to understand some of the processes I had observed and experienced with people in the clinic. Hmm. Up to that point, I had really found it difficult to put into words or to really explain why looking at whole body coordination and the emergent properties uh, that happen when you get someone to, you know, play in a way that is looking at different planes of motion or looking at their uh, a more dynamic, exaggerated version of a gait pattern, for example. Um, and I know you, you do this sort of stuff in a clinic as well. And we, we've arrived at what, what really, when we were talking about this last year, I just love that we are on opposite sides the world we see very different patient groups and we've sort of but we're working with the same kind of system and so we've arrived at um, entering the system at a similar level and and playing around and exploring and um, you know there's huge value and I had struggled to be able to make sense of that so the predictive processing helped me to um, make some sense of some of the things in the clinic. The other thing that uh, on a theoretical level, um, it was really the um, closest theoretical modelling around thinking about pain that aligned and converged with the skill acquisition stuff. So that just was like, oh, there it is. There, there is That is the convergence and we have, you know, it makes sense that eventually they're going to converge. There's going to be, we can't have such divergent sort of processes when they're coexisting and, you know, they're, they're just um, happening at the same time. So those are the two things that I've found were really helpful um, from that point of view. And the other thing too, is that when you're talking about it in being inclusive, it means that we don't have to necessarily unlearn things that we have um, already learned. You know, experimental data is experimental data and and we mm. have experiences and observe emergent um, properties um, and, and outcomes. You know, we have things that are surprising in the clinic. Oh, wow, I could never have planned that or intellectualised that and what a great thing we've just learnt and, and, and look at how you're moving, you know, all of that mm. sort of stuff. Um, so it means that when we have focuses on certain parts of the system, um, the gut, the brain, the, you know, the, um, you know, other, other sort of systems that we zoom in on, um, they can be accommodated and included, um, but it's just broadens that, like you say, it's inclusive and it, we don't necessarily get caught in that's more important per se, but it's how does it interact with the whole system? And mm. yeah, and then it's coming in touch with uh, who is going to be the beneficiary of what kind of focus. Um, that that's our great challenge as a clinician. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and 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 I know we're we're both excited about a course that's coming up. So you're trying to uh, together with Tim Cox, you're going to present a course. Uh, the first one is in Fremantle. Uh, I don't have the dates here, but it's Australia, uh, obviously. Uh, April uh, April twenty first, I think. Yep. 
Yeah, so... Um, 20th. 20th, great. So there will be a course that called Explore Pain and that will absolutely bring in some of these concepts of thinking, these con thinking concepts into a three-day experience. I would highly recommend. I'm biased, obviously, because I'm <laughs> part of an organization. <laughs> but uh, but uh, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can see now that your your role as a clinician is could be really interesting in this course. I'm really excited about that and probably you do, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. We've got lots of, um, I think the dynamic of the course is that, you know, Tim brings enormous um, knowledge and experience and in, in um, predictive processing theory. And, um, and we have this, uh, we have this, um, saying that we'd like I'll be doing his course he'll be doing my course like we can't do it without each other and um you know there's I've got case studies and we've got examples and we've got um six really simple tools that people can take back to the clinic um to start to look at how you can view and converse with patients around these things and um and then we've got some really good sort of activities interspersed so three days and um memorable moments so if you don't remember the you know predictive coding and heavy theory stuff you'll go what was that that stupid activity we did related to you know cellular function and um you'll remember to go back and have a look at that so yeah well we're, we're yeah, really, really yeah this is going to be that's going to be amazing i'm pretty sure i'm no doubt about that it's going to be really fun and very learning but it's it basically is that if i'm summarizing that's going to be like a 12 year 12 years of experience in three days yeah. so actually it's like the most efficient way to catch up with, with these concepts <laughs> instead of going for the 12 years of the process you've journey. gone through um this yeah, journey that's yeah right. absolutely um mm. that, that's very gen that's very generous if you both uh, and uh, sharing that knowledge. So my, my final question would be if you um, uh, can invite two people for a, like a good night out, like having a drink, um, you decide who's coming. This person doesn't need to be alive necessarily. Uh, okay. So you can choose two. Who would that be? Okay. Uh, I always talk about a dinner party, so I've, I've always got a list of people in my head who I'll have around. <laughs> Um, I know you have I to boil it down to two. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm going to say I'm going to be future and people who are alive because um, I'm about influencing things going forward and, and things. So I'm going to step right out of my realm and say Julian Kirchstein, who's a um, philosopher, and um, he wrote the paper with Mick Thacker and Michael Kirchhoff and um, on predictive processing as a theory to, for subjective pain experience. So, um, and I've listened to some of his stuff on play and, you know, he's got this wonderful um, deep knowledge on humankind. So, um, yeah, Julian. And, and um Right now, because I might answer this differently in a month, um, I'm going to say Nathalia Costa because um, I've just in the process of trying to meet up with her and I'm super excited about her research that she's um, she just moved from Queensland Uni to the University of Sydney um, in uncertainty 
in low back pain. So I think, um, mm. yeah, there's a, a huge um, conversation um, to have with her about where she's going, what she's thinking, and um, and then to really have a little look at the clinical side and the research side. So surprisingly, mm. they're the two. <laughs> Yeah, good, good, good. Well done. That that's <laughs> been amazing. And I can see uh, we we had Julian in our one of our sessions. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think two years ago, which was really nice having and Mick as well at the same session. So it was quite interesting to see them both thinking and talking about this predictive mm. processing um, concepts. Um, um, I from my point of view, I. I I'm trying to get my head around. So I read like Andy Clark's um, um, uh, surfing, surfing uncertainty for ex- um and Neil Seth. I would recommend. I would like a lot. I really like his way of his. He got a quite a few podcasts where he's been able to to tell in in verbalizing in a very, I think, would say easy way in a way because it's a yeah. yeah digestible way to you can sort of get your head around predictive processing models. Um, and it's actually it, it it relates to everything in life. So it's not just if you're interested yeah. in pain, but it's basically everything. It's about consciousness, mm. and uh, even reading uh, um, uh, Hawkins' last memorable uh, his his last book, for example, or is not this last one, but the one before. Oh, it's, yeah, it's Steve, quite yeah. Yeah, so it's it's such a it's it's a nice way of getting yourself your head around these concepts and then getting used to the philosophies yeah. and. You will see That's that right. everything goes together, and I, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, and Mark's togetherness, like too. Absolutely. So um, mm. we're going to wrap up now. Um, uh, our time's up, but it was really enjoyable. Thank you for joining, uh, Leanne. This, this was really nice, and I, I love your your clinical view on something that could be sound a bit challenging in terms of theoretical theoretical concepts and bringing that into a digestible uh, um, approach at least or thinking that could be helpful for your clinic and you're the lived experience of that and um, we're really glad to have you here uh, have you here to to share some of your thoughts so thanks again it was amazing thank you very much thanks Bart all right great and um yeah it's you don't have to fully understand the maths (laughs) I will say that there's just lots of really great utility that we can explore and come to know so yeah thank Mm, you yes absolutely all right uh thank you for listening uh today again and um we're gonna catch up next time um notice that we have uh, plenty of people queued up and lined up for uh new conversations so thank you for joining and see you later okay bye